My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. This episode, we chat with Aleda Solis, international SEO consultant, speaker, author, as well as founder of Orianti and Remoters.net. We discuss how she studied as a systems engineer in Nicaragua and got her master's in e-commerce from the University of Salamanca in Spain, how her studies led her to become a web designer, which eventually led her to SEO, going from agency to in-house to becoming an independent consultant founding and managing her businesses, building a personal brand, public speaking, keeping up with her hectic schedule, why she loves travel and food, and so much more. In the news, we talk about getting more and better data exports in Google Search Console and also a study published on Search Engine Journal entitled Unpacking the Causal Impact of Google's Double-Dipping Featured Snippet Update. Finally, we have a deep dive into the topic of YouTube and video SEO, and Aleda shares tips that she's learned from her YouTube series, Crawling Mondays. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Aleda's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is Jacob Stoops, and we are back with episode 43 of the Page 2 podcast, and I am here with my co-host, Mr. Jeff Luella. Jeff, how are you doing? Pretty good. Hey, howdy, hey. Hey, and Jeff, is it snowing in Atlanta? It is not, though. It was, it's pretty chilly. It was like in the 20s this morning, but it'll be in the 70s by the end of the week. So I am surprised that they did not close down school. Here in Ohio, they closed yeah. down school uh, this morning. It didn't even snow that much, so I'm not really uh, sure why they closed down the school, but it left me uh, scrambling and a little frazzled uh, before, the, before the interview uh, and uh, not as prepared as I would, as I would like to be. However... None of that matters because we have an amazing guest uh, for our audience today. We have international SEO consultant, speaker, author, entrepreneur, and YouTube personality, Aleda Solis. Aleda, how's it? I wish, I wish. The YouTube personality part, I wish. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You are much more of a personality than I would say myself and and Jeff are on our five or six video YouTube (laughs) channel. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> where it, it really, we really have not been able to keep up with that as well as the, uh, the actual, the actual podcast. Um, but we are extremely, extremely excited to have you. And I'm about to deluge you with a plethora of questions. And I'm sure that, um, our audience, uh, definitely wants to know a lot about you. Um, and I'm, there, there's, there's a certain amount, you've got a fair amount of content out there. So I'm, you know, I'm sure maybe some people have read up on your, um, background, but for those that have not, I think that this is going to be a really, um, a really good interview and, a, a, a really good for people to understand kind of where you came from and to talk about all of the different things that you have going on, because you have got a lot going on. Um, before we start. Okay. We have uh, a growing audience, and we're very, very excited about that. Uh, but I will say we are a, a very humble 
a hardworking little engine that could podcast right now. And for those people that are first time listeners, um, I just like to quickly give a quick overview of the podcast before we kind of dive in. Um, so if you're a first time listener and you're here, maybe because you've bumped into somebody organically, uh, that's my dad joke for the day. Um, organically, um, that's pretty normal. Most people have have heard of it from somebody else who heard of it, who somebody who heard of it from somebody else, or maybe you bumped into it on uh, Twitter. Um, and we're growing our, our Twitter channel and our Twitter following. Um, we're excited to have you. Uh, here's the podcast. If you're coming here for a bunch of SEO advice, you're going to get that. Uh, but what makes our podcast really unique is that we focus on the origin stories and the backgrounds, and we really get into kind of the day-to-day grind of what it's like to be an SEO, uh, kind of like as a listener, if you were a fly on the wall and hearing what SEOs talk to each other about uh, in terms of just the trials and tribulations, that's kind of the core of this podcast. And we dive into all kinds of issues. Um, uh, Imposter syndrome last year or last episode, we talked about mental health. Um, We talk about all kinds of stuff, where people come from. Most people don't get into SEO, uh, especially if you've been in the industry for a long time on purpose. Most people fall into it from some other uh, other place. And we find that those stories are incredibly fascinating. And those are the stories that we're trying to tell over the course of time. We've added... Um, we've added in season two um, kind of a second leg to the stool, uh, and that leg is SEO news. So we uh, take the opportunity, whatever the news of the day is, to just share our kind of candid and unfiltered uh, reactions to the news. Uh, and I've joked in the past that a lot of times it's Jeff being even keeled and me just going off on a rant. <laughs> Um, which I find funny. I don't think I have anything to rant about today in today's news. Some actual, uh, I think, uh, interesting and and good and insightful things coming out today. Um, And then the third leg that we've added this season is a deep dive. And in today's episode, we are going to deep dive on something that we have not deep dived on before. And it's going to be video and uh, uh, YouTube strategy, which is great because we have uh, Aleda on and she has a really great YouTube series. And I'm sure that we're going to dive uh, pretty deep into that. But without further ado, um, I want to stop talking and allow Aleda to talk. So Aleda, um, can you tell us about your, your background? Um, who, you know, who are you? How did you get into this crazy career called SEO and kind of where are you now with all of the things that you have going on? Yes, well, I am an SEO consultant um, and I have my own S- uh, boutique SEO consultancy. Uh, we work remotely from all over. I am in, uh, in Spain, in the, in the north of Spain, and uh, I work with a small team of, of, uh, of SEOs who are also all spread out. For example, one is in, in France and another is in Colombia. So, and, and, and the clients that uh, uh, I work with, for example, are also from all over. I have only one client that is in Spain and it's not even here nearby. It's a startup in Barcelona. But most of the clients that uh, I deal with are from whether the US, the UK, uh, one in India too recently, so it's very, very uh, Latin America a lot too. So it's very spread out in general. And uh, uh, the SEO type of consultancy that I do is very strategic, 
technical, uh, aligned, um, tends to be aligned to a very specific type of, of goal or objective or challenge that the company has. Uh, usually the companies that I work with are, are relatively biggish type of brands um, that have tend to have also their own in-house team, but they have, for example, specific challenges when we're releasing a new version in a new country or when they are going through a web migration or when they are dealing with specific challenges to rank their website uh, uh, for certain specific industries or in certain specific product lines, things like that, right? So uh, they hire me to have like a, a, a little bit ex of extra validation support input to, to, to achieve a, a, a specific goal at an ongoing basis, right? Um, so it's more of a strategic type of, of SEO uh, advice consultancy. Um, I have been um, doing independent SEO consultancy since 2014. Before that time, I, I, I worked at a variety of positions, uh, both at the agency side, uh, in-house to at some point. Uh, also, from, from a product perspective, at some point. So at, 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 after working many years for others, I realized that uh, I was thankfully already at a position where I have already a certain uh, brand, personal brand in the market, uh, um, companies and, and businesses reach out to me to help them, especially at the beginning was very international SEO oriented, just like where I came from, right? So a lot of international SEO type of processes, uh, still a little bit today, but not only, right? Um, so, so I ended. I, I decided, right? This is the best of both worlds. I, I, I can on one hand work uh, well with a variety of projects. I, I, I am not bored only on, on a single type of project, which is the usual issue when you are in house, all the eggs in a single bag, right? And then on the other hand, I, I, I am able to decide a little bit and uh, to work with a certain type of clients and not a high number of clients. So I can also uh, get uh, in depth type of uh, like really like go in depth uh, with with the analysis validation coordination what what tends to to be done instead of like the typical big agency approach that you end up dealing with dozens of accounts clients whatever and, and you don't right. have much much influence right so i i i was very happy when i realized that i ended up having this type of balance and uh, and i really 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 enjoy uh, working with clients and with projects and so this is why i also decided early on that i didn't want it to go with the agency type of path right because this is the typical thing you start also as a freelance on your own uh start um growing little by little and until you realize you are 15 people or 20 people 20 people and then you you are 50 and things like that right but then if you follow this path that i i i realized that i had to uh, invest a high share of my time on on dealing with the, the team management type of side of business management type of, of things right which i don't necessarily really enjoyed as much i prefer to to you know to focus on SEO problems, like traffic growing problems and with clients. So this is why I have, I have also on purpose uh, stay small. And the way that I have grown is like uh, choosing better the, the, the projects that I work with, uh, bigger type of project, bigger type of clients, bigger brands. And, and then on the other hand, what I have done, this is why I have also a little bit of availability on doing this, this additional type of projects. Uh, I have my own project that is called Remoters, that is a re remote website. Uh, we have resources for remote working organizations and professionals. We have a job board that is completely free. 
we have uh, interviews with remote-based uh, companies and, 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 and people sharing their journey, how they do it. Um, we have a co-living section, a tool section, uh, events section. So I am very happy about that. I am a, like, I, I, this is something that I am, have very strong feelings about, about the remote work, uh, the impact that remote can have in, in people, organizations, society in general, right? And yeah. so that is something very also important for me and that I have uh, been focusing on uh, a lot lately. And then also I have like this Crawling Mondays, my YouTube series. Uh, I started last year to test what was this all about regarding YouTube video optimization, right? This year, my new project too that I am like trying to balance out a little bit is like getting out of hands because I have so much going on uh, uh, at the same time, right? It's like um, newsletter, SEO FOMO. Um, I, I, thankfully I said SEO FOMO, not SEO MOFO because the last, the last couple of times <laughs> that I have been asked about it, I end up realizing like, oh my God, I'm the worst. Anyway, yes, this, this, I, I should have expected to happen. So SEO FOMO that I send weekly with just like highlights of what has happened in the SEO world. Right. And you can, you can subscribe for, uh, from, from my website yep. too, if you're interested. And yes, of course it's free and mm -hmm. it's a little bit like, yeah, highlights in, in the search world, a little bit of, of everything news and, uh, resources, etc. Yeah. So going farther back into your career. So in kind of doing our, our background research, you, um, you went to school as a systems engineer with uh, yeah. a focus on e-commerce. So one, what made you go to school? Like what made you decide, Hey, this is what I, this is what I want to go to school for. And then once you got out of school, um, I guess, take us through kind of your winding path into how that led into SEO. Cause it's, it's, um, mm -hmm. It makes sense. It's a technical background, which a lot of us um, come to, but it's not like, hey, anybody that does this is going to be an SEO. So you, mm -hmm. you had to have gone through a winding path to eventually get to SEO as many of us had. So uh, I guess talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure thing. So um, no, that, 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 there's a lot of context going on there. So I, I went to school, yes, and I studied systems engineering. Um, at the time, I, am, I was in Nicaragua, right? I, I, I have I came to study to Spain in 2007. Um, but before that, I, I already went to the university. I grew up, studied, and went to university in Nicaragua, in my home country. So this is the thing. I went to study systems engineering because I really loved maths when I was in high school. And I was very strong from the science side, but really enjoyed maths and technology, right? So systems engineering was like the one type of career that had this overlay. So I, I ended up going to school and, and learning about that. Then when I was in the first year of university, uh, second semester, they started offering like free courses, HTML courses, right? Build your web page, website. This is 1999, right? Uh, and um, and um, yeah, I, so I ended up uh, learning how to, how to code HTML. Then funny thing, when I actually learned, like I don't want to say real, uh, re real uh, programming because people will, uh, there's this argument in the development world, like HTML is still programming, CSS is also uh, uh, programming. Anyway, so when I, when I learned, for example, I learned Pascal, C, C++, uh, then I realized, oh my God, I, I don't enjoy this as much because with HTML or, 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 or JavaScript and like front-end oriented type of, of, of coding, um, you can see the output right away. I'm also a very visual person. Uh, funnily enough, when I was deciding what to study, 
another of the careers that I, I was thinking about was architecture because it's, yeah, you, you end up needing maths too, but also it's very visual. I love the visual part of things, right? So I ended up staying with HTML, like continue studying, of course, whatever. But then ver since very early on, I say, no, I, if, if I can build a career uh, building websites, this is what I really want to 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 do then then don't please don't ask me what my dad for example said like this is what you're studying systems engineer engineering for like to end up doing web websites like yeah anyway but this is what i love right so i i was lucky enough since i was in the second year of university right after i did this course with all of my classmates right uh there was this contest at the end of the course like um who built the best website so i did a website uh in html in notepad right very old school um i used all my have not used iframes at that point anyway for the menu anyway so i built one about uh, marine turtles like let's protect marine turtles this which which was a very big topic in nicaragua right because we have marine turtles like yeah, yeah like uh, living eggs etc and people stealing them so it's bad people killing them so it's like yeah so i want you know emotional type of connection there i won the awards let's say that i won it because of the emotional connection and not necessarily because how good my html code was anyway uh, <laughs> and after that i was i was proposed uh to start working as a as a web designer part-time because i still needed to go to university and study of course uh, and uh, at this there were like Nicaragua at that point, there were like maybe three web design shops. Usually like they were areas of the ISPs providers, uh, the internet providers. Uh, so I, I ended up, this is how I ended up building websites. Then after many years, a few years, I graduated the university. I, I became like a proper web the designer slash front end web developer. And my last work as such was a, as a, a, the main newspaper in Nicaragua, La, La Prensa. And then I realized after a few years is that, oh, I want to do more. I want to be able to, what is the next step, right? Like you, you build a website, but you need to attract traffic. I also had my own clients having this issue, right? How do we attract traffic? So I, I, I realized about uh, AdWords, but then I realized, oh, you can do this also for free uh, with SEO. So I started digging out a little bit. At that point, I realized that to grow more professionally, I was pretty stuck at that point. So how I can end up even learning more uh, in a much more methodical way. So this is how I ended up going to coming to Spain to study an e-commerce master. Then when I went to this e-commerce master, like funny thing, I ended up realizing that it was not from more, like very prominent on the marketing side, which was the one that I was more interested about, right? But more on the technical side. So yeah, like building stores in Java at that point. Like, I was like, oh my God, this was not really what I really wanted to learn. But then when I was at that point already in Salamanca, that was 2007, uh, uh, there was, I was very lucky that in Salamanca, there was one of the um, online marketing agencies in Spain that was very targeted towards the international market because um, they offered their services mainly to uh, online travel uh, agencies or, or education type of organizations like learn Spanish in Spain or learn French in France, things like that, that had a very international type of audience. So they ended up hiring me uh, first, not as an SEO because I wasn't yet like really SEO, but just to help them as a web content manager to help them optimize for uh, like handle 
in general, the, the, the websites that they used to have also that they handled for the clients. And then at some point after working on that for a while, I ended up actually learning SEO because I was at, at an online marketing agency where there were already people focusing on that. I learned from them a ton. And then I realized, oh my God, I really like this specific site of that. I am going to focus on it. And, and when one of them left the company, uh, they gave me the opportunity to start filling that position. And this is how I become at some point, yeah, 2008, uh, completely focused on, on, on doing SEO at that agency. And this is how I also ended up doing international SEO since very early on, because like 99% of the clients at, at that agency that was called Internet Advantage uh, were mainly, yeah, uh, international type of, of websites. So this is how I ended up also doing a lot of international SEO since the early beginning of my career as, as SEO, yeah. So I think one of the things that you've done really, really well in, in your time is you've developed a very strong personal brand, which I think has, has probably opened up a lot of opportunities um, for you and probably a lot, <laughs> a lot of things that now make you, make you very, very busy. Um, how do you feel, like, how do you, at the start, um, did you know that your personal brand or, or those efforts, whether it be public speaking or, or you've written a book, um, now you're doing your own YouTube series, you've got a great newsletter, um, you, you um, honestly, you're all over the place um, in, in terms of uh, seeing you crop up within the SEO industry. And I think with that, I would imagine comes a certain amount of pressure um, probably a lot of passion, but for people that are looking to build their own personal brand, um, how do you, how did you do that? How did you go about getting started and kind of putting one foot in front of the other um, at the start? And how do you balance it today? Because there's a lot going on and you only have so much time in the, in the day. Um, so how did you get started building your, your personal brand and how do you, how do you balance it? Yeah, I think that the best way to do it is uh, sharing what you know, right? Uh, and, and I think that that is one of the main challenges that many of us have because we always have the feeling, this imposter type of syndrome, especially in SEO where there's, it is no written like after you reach this point, you're actually an SEO or something like that. Like you always learning. And this is an ongoing process as SEO. I am always learning. We are always learning uh, because it's so dynamic and changing. Um, and um, so I think that it was when I started to share, I initially started to share and, 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 and to write in Spanish, right, in my blog. And of course, the topics at that point were very, very basic, like how to do an keyword research, how to do this, oh, because that was what I was learning at that point and, and, and realizing how to do and how to do potentially um, uh, efficiently. So I really wanted to share how I did that with uh, other people, with the community, like giving back a little bit, because realistically, if I was able to learn uh, quickly, it's because, yes, I, had, I, was, I had, was lucky enough to uh, work at this online marketing agency, but because there was also, at that point, I remember SEO book or SEO Moth and all of this master word. So these were communities that I learned a ton from. So I, I also wanted to give back and do a little bit of, yeah, if they are sharing, I am getting I'm getting profit from that. I want to share back, right? And so I started doing that and that also helped. Twitter also helped. I started tweeting a little bit and connecting with SEOs from all over the world that I would have uh, uh, the opportunity to, to, to get to know at that point um, in person, right? Because I didn't 
uh, ended up going to conferences uh, by myself like after many years of that. So I would say start sharing, start blogging, start tweeting, connecting and working with people first online is the most it's the easier thing. Um, and, and, and then after a while, start going to events. Now it's even easier. At that point, it was, I remember like asking my bosses, like, can I have like the, the budget to go to search love at that point? I, I remember well, or to, to this conference in, 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 in the US, I went to the first CES Latino. Imagine it's 2007. I, for, for me, it was huge. I was still learning at that point. I have all the things that were said, like were way over my head, right? I still remember it was shocking. Uh, so anyway, so start going to conference. Now it's much more easier because I think and I feel that there are many more conferences. There are smaller events uh, in the smaller cities, not only in big, in big cities or in big countries uh, where you can go and start networking, start connecting, start learning, like learning more uh, about more people, connecting with more people. So I will say to do that, to start sharing what you know, to start blogging, to start networking, uh, to start, yeah. And after, after a while, people will realize and you will realize it is also a self-acknowledged type of process, like what, what are your strengths, what are really good about, and, and continue down that path doing what you love, what you are good at, and, and if you are really good at that and people see that what you share is cons consistently good, they will, they will end up inviting you to speak somewhere. And if you do a good work, inviting you to speak, they will refer you and people will see you and, and people will invite you over right. to more places, right? So this is like a snowball type of, of, of process. And, uh, and this is the first advice that I, I give to people asking me, how, how do I do, for example, this, uh, uh, not necessarily to develop a personal brand director, but they ask me, how do I do to get clients as an independent consultant, right? I want to grow my consultancy uh, or, or my freelance jobs. And right now they are like very small or not very, uh, um, uh, not frequent enough to pay to become independent things like that like build your personal brand and how do you do it like what I what I shared before sharing connecting um, in a very organic way I think it's the, it's the easiest way to establish authority and after a while things things will, will come your way yeah as you grow and and you know your brand grows and you get invited to speak more and more often um, how do you feel a lot of pressure to like I know uh, there was a big Twitter conversation about things not to do as a speaker. Um, and, and some of it was speakers who share the same deck or, or do the same mm -hmm. speech over and over time. If you're a comedian, like you work on your material, the mm -hmm. same set probably for a year before, you know, it, it's, it's launched and then you start something new or, or, you know, stuff like that. Or if you're, you're on tour somewhere else doing like a band, you're playing the same songs since the last, you know, since the eighties, if you're out front then. So yeah. as a conference speaker, like how much pressure do you feel like having to give new material every time that you speak um, compared to giving sort of the same speech at a different conference? If you're doing a speech in Spain and then in the U S I'm sure most people in the U S aren't in Spain during that same conference. Yeah. There, there are a lot of, you know, when you look at SES or Moz or like, there's, there's a ton of conferences that have the same speakers and with those same speakers, like how do you like, yeah, like how do you feel? Do you feel a lot of pressure to have new content every single time? Or do you also feel um, like that you can get away with using some of the same stuff over and over? So this, I, I think that it's about being reasonable about it. And, and, and on one hand is the, is, is the overlay of two things. What, 
what in what do you have experience and you have real insight and and useful insights to share and on the other hand um what has the audience not seen yet uh, and or requested to see or preferred to see and or they are interested about they will be uh, much more uh, happy to see right so indeed like for example when I was starting to speak, I spoke a lot about international SEO, right? And even if I try to change the, the insights, the decks, the examples, this is something, this is some, something that I always do, right? I personalize and localize the examples to be of relevant companies, local companies. So if I want to make a point of something, I will have the company from that country, right? That everybody will, will recognize or identify, right? Um, but yes, of course, there's only so much that I can speak about international SEO. So at, that, at some point I say, I have more to share that only about international SEO. So that is how I ended up also speaking about uh, SEO for web migrations. And I, this type of topics, for example, they, it's not that I came up from them from scratch. It's like, what do I do in my day to day? Why that? Why I feel that I, I have right. a good methodology, that I am effective, that I'm potentially better than others or have something new to share. So my strengths, right? And this, this is what I do for me is straightforward because I will never speak about something that I haven't done myself on one hand, right? Even if I am requested, it's like, oh, do you want to speak about the buildings? I, I think that there are dozens of, dozens of people who have, are much better uh, uh, on buildings who are right. super smart on it than, than me. And I will refer that that is what I do when I am requested to speak about this very specific topic. Um, and then on the other hand, it's about not repeating exactly the same, right? The, this, the thing, right? Like if the audiences are completely different, if I have spoken about a topic in Australia, I know that the risk of repeating or giving the same talk, even localizing the examples, right? Um, uh, to the US audience, like the, the overlay will be minimum. So it will still be new and, and attractive and relevant. Yep. Uh, to the audience in the US, so that is okay. But of course, I have had the situations, for example, last year, uh, Brighton ICO, I had given a talk like two months before at this other conference, Digital uh, LED or something. Yeah, indeed, I think it was at Digital LED uh, that I, I spoke about progressive above an, an SEO. And uh, and then I had the topic also set for, for Brighton, but then I realized, oh, mm -mm. Uh, Digital LED is true that it was it's not, Brighton SEO big, that is huge, right? But because of that, indeed, like even it's in London, digital LED is in London, Brighton SEO is in Brighton, of course, but it's very nearby and the, a lot of the people who go there are from London. And yep. so I was like, you know what? Very too near in time, uh, too much of an overlay because of how big Brighton uh, SEO is. So I went, I reached out to, to Kelvin and, and told him, look, Kelvin is still a possibility, like a few months in advance, of course, but it's still a possibility for me to change the topic because I wouldn't feel very comfortable on repeating this this because I just gave a session about the same topic here and it's, there might be too much overlay. And he was like, of course, like the event organizer will be the first interested to learn about what other side of topic you could uh, propose uh, in exchange, right? So that is what I did and that is how I ended up giving this presentation about why SEO processes fail, right? With data that I did this poll over Twitter and provided very specific actionable, uh, actionable type of 
uh, recommendations for, for it to improve the process, things like that, right? So I think that, yeah, it is a balance. Sometimes, of course, you feel pressure like, oh my God, there's too much overlay, but you should know, you should be able to identify it based on the overlay of the audience or how new the topic is and, um, and where, is, where are your strengths and what you have also the opportunity to share about um, and, um, and the interest of the audience. So yeah, there, there's a little bit of a mix, but indeed it's, it's something that I, 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 I acknowledge and I, I understand that exists and yeah. I try to avoid completely, not by having a completely new deck every single time, but do it right. like changing it in a reasonable way to still uh, be able to give uh, unique insights and worthy insights for that specific audience that they haven't seen before. That's good. Do you practice, do you oh, practice yeah. your deck beforehand? <laughs> like I, I know some people just go up, they like they know their their information, right? So if you would ask me about certain things, I could probably talk forever on it. But when it has to like go with the deck in front of an audience, um, do you do you practice ahead of time? Like I know some people sit in the mirror and practice their speech, um, while other people just kind of have four words on the slide and they can just talk at for hours about it. Yeah. Well, you know what? Realistically, when I was starting a long time ago, I didn't spoke as much. I did practice. But not anymore because, oh my God, I don't, <laughs> I wish yeah. I had the time. Maybe, maybe what I do though is when I do the slides, uh, and this is the thing, I do my slides myself, right? So I know my deck, of course, because I have built it myself completely from scratch. And it's, and it's actually a process that even if I had someone that I could, that I could trust 100% to delegate to, I wouldn't because I enjoy the process. This is the type of stuff that is completely yeah. like avoidable if I want it, just build the outline. <laughs> Another person will have the design skills to do it. But since I am like indeed very design oriented, I enjoy it so much. Anyway, so since I know my deck, what I, the only thing that I am concerned about sometimes is the, the, the timings, right? Yeah. If a new deck, if a new material to make sure. So I have like a rule of thumb, not more than three slides per minute. And I'll, then I'll be more than okay. And then I, I will do after I build a slide, a couple of, run overs completely of like going through the slides and no, 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 saying it like actually speaking it for myself going through the the slides to see how much does it take or how's the pace and the connections between the 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 different slides to see if they the, there is yeah. the storytelling is good or not things like that yeah so I, one question that that i have um god i have so many questions <laughs> um you're traveling around uh, you know, quite a lot. You're speaking at a, at a lot of events and you're, you're pretty active and you're pretty busy. How do you manage to balance out uh, having enough time to spend digging into the day-to-day with your, you know, with your clients because you're still running, um, mm-hmm. running a business? So how do you balance that out? And, and not only that, but like while still managing to have a personal life, right? Because that's important too. Um, and mm-hmm. and you know, I see you out and about quite a bit. And I just, I'm like, I don't know how she does it. Maybe she figured out a way to get like 28 hours in the, in the day. Somehow, somehow. Oh, I, wish. I, I, I have I, to admit, I respect it a lot, but I don't know how you do it. <laughs> some people, some people ask me, it's like, I have, I have a hardworking dream that I, she's the one who works on work. No, I wish, I wish that was the, the reality. Well, it's about balance, right? And this is the thing I started doing this because of my remote working site. Um, much more, right? And to, to, to show people that I was eating my own dog food. I don't have a remote work website and, and preach about remote work while traveling, whatever, and having the, the lifestyle that you choose and, and not doing it myself. So I, I try to, you know, while, while the talk, right? Um, 
but then I ended up, for example, last year, oh my God, it was potentially too much. I ended up being very, very tired at the end of the year. So that is why this year I'm, I am already taking it much more easily. I, I, I am avoiding the back-to-backs type of conferences and, and always requiring to have a certain amount of time back at home because, yes, I have my, my home office here and I get so much more done that, than when I am on the go. But when I am on the go too, this indeed is stressful, but things that you need to, to I, I am always, I, I am always, I always need to make sure that I will have a reliable connection at the hotel that I am staying. I have done webinars. I have done conference calls with clients. I have done presentations of outlets, sharing my experience. When on the go, sometimes I am, I was, I remember like two years ago or three years ago when I was in New Zealand, right? I ended up waking up at 2 a.m. because one of my clients was in, in, the, in the Netherlands and the other one was in, uh, I, I think it was San Francisco or Los Angeles. So, there was no way in the world that the three of us will be will will be at a good time, like at, at a reasonable, workable time for the three. But of course, I was the consultant here, so of course I woke up. I set the alarm, one thirty a.m. I woke up. Sometimes I forget when I am like on the go. I forget to tell clients to change a little bit the timings. And I had last year like call with a, a client that was based in, in France. Um, and I was at that point in, in, uh, in California and then indeed that was 1am for me and it was like, uh, still in the afternoon for them, but it was my fault because I forgot completely and it will have, they will have been completely flexible on doing in their, in their morning, my, like at the original time for both. Right. But sometimes it happens, right. So it's not that I am perfect at all, but, um, I try to handle, uh, I, I still, I block times um that i need to focus so you will see me working even if i am anywhere in the world i'm not on vacation there's a thing i'm not in, in on vacation i you will see me like enjoying a little bit like the hours that i will could have like from for example off here on a typical working day is, are the hours that i will have off whenever i am in the world so i will make the most out of to, to, to see, to, to do a little bit of sightseeing and enjoy a bit but then i will be also working on my room uh, with this additional challenge potentially on connections and it's a little bit stressful because indeed you are not as, as comfortable as when you are at home, but I, I make it work. I, 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 I manage it and somehow, yeah. yes, I, I am still alive <laughs> even like that. <laughs> yes. Do you, with all the, everything going on, do you have any time, do you, do you have any hobbies oh, that yeah. aren't SEO related? Right. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, my, my hobbies, and this is the thing, you actually need to do it while you love it. My hobbies is to travel. I am a yeah. travel addict, I have to say. And this is why I continue. People say, yeah, indeed, I am tired and challenged, but I, oh my God, I need to go to that new destination, really, for real. And then to live like a weekend there to be able to actually not be thinking about work during that weekend right. and actually, actually be able to see the place, things like that. Awesome. Uh, so that is how I, I, I think that that is why and how I am able to do it. And also another reason of why I, I, I do a lot of the traveling is because when I go to conferences, it's the way I have to network and, and, and to socialize because I work at home here, right? And, yeah. and, and I am not a super extroverted person, but I am also an introvert. So I need to have socialization uh, also going on in my life. So that is how I compensate that part too. Uh, so it needs to be, I mean, there, there should be a driver there, much more important. Not only like, oh, I need to go to conferences to speak and promote myself or whatever. There should be like an additional incentive there. So my incentive is like, it, it's a check, check, check on many of things that I love and I, and I right. really like. And then potentially the other, the other um, uh, hobby, I don't know if that will be like a hobby. I am a, 
and and I, you know I, I am a foodie I love to eat well so yes yeah awesome. <laughs> I love to eat well <laughs> so yes uh, to go to places that not they're not necessarily fancy but they serve unique food delicious food rich food for some people but yeah. yes that I <laughs> that I enjoy to eat and I tend to take photos and you know share my experiences about that that's great too. yes as I my need to father, get more hobbies Oh, I was going to say, as my father-in-law says, this is a great, uh, not really a segue, uh, some people eat to live and other people live to eat. So, Oh, 100%. This is the thing. Like, the, the, <laughs> there was someone, the, like, I don't know, a couple of years ago when this Soyland type of products started to get um, a lot of buzz. And I was like, why? I mean, I, I understand that the main purpose of food is to, you know, give you energy, of course, but... It's, it's an art. It's like yes. it's one of the pleasures of life that you can ah. actually enjoy. So yes, for me, it's, it's more about that, indeed. It, well, as a foodie, I feel like I have to ask, and I, I wouldn't consider myself a, a foodie um, in terms of like that's a passionate. Like I'm more of the I, I live to, or eat to live. <laughs> but what <laughs> what is your favorite dish, or what do you oh like? My to God, make that is yourself? so hard. <laughs> that is a hard question for me. Uh, and of course, you have comfort food. For me, if you ask me about comfort food, uh, oh my God, like uh, chicken wings, for example. I love fried food. It's not good, not healthy, I know, but for example, but good food that will probably be an overlay of many different like quality, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's, for example, the chuleton of, of the North Spain of the Basque country, like delicious meat like this, high protein, cooked work pretty well if you're on keto too <laughs> not highly colored like indeed so it's like it's, it's chuleton I, I love chuleton and then of course i love ramen um yes um ramen um is yeah one of my favorites too uh, uh, especially the one that is um uh that uh, is 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 very hot and uh and spicy that that's the, the one that is even red, I will say. That, that is my favorite type of ramen with, a, with an egg inside. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love um, spicy food. So I'm, I'm definitely, yeah. and I know, that, I know that spicy food is not for um, everybody, but I feel like I've uh, killed enough of my taste buds to where I can tolerate, <laughs> tolerate spicy food and it doesn't make me sweat like it does other, um, other people. And I will say for myself and Jeff, I don't know about you. Like I always loved like a good traditional Italian dish, um, yeah, just yeah. Uh, spaghetti and meatballs or just any sort of pasta with a good red sauce or pasta with like butter. That's my comfort, comfort food with like a, a nice glass of wine or a beer or something like that. And I'm perfectly content, sit on the couch, let's watch a movie and go to sleep. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, you need a lot, to, a, lot of, a lot of sleep after that for sure. No, right. that's that, that also really good. Really good. Yeah. Jeff, what about you, Ian? What's your comfort food? Tell us, tell I mean, us. I, I, don't, don't make I, us feel bad. I will bad. say, I'm also, I, no, I am also a chicken wing guy, but I, um, I, I like to, I, I like a good steak. I, I'm definitely oh, yeah. a, um, and, and, you know, I, I do like some broccoli on the side and things like that, but like the steak is usually the, the main course of, of the so, meal. And, Jeff, um, are, you, are you an expensive date then? With the steak, like uh, you know, it's funny. Sometimes I feel like I could be because I like to get a, a nice steak. But uh, then if I go with my wife, she mm -hmm. is not an expensive date unless we go to a seafood restaurant, and she loves like a lacking king crab. 
that's like one call is like yeah it's sixty dollars <laughs> <laughs> so but we really go there when we splurge to celebrate but at the same time um yeah i'm probably more the expensive date i, I like to go i love mexican food so or, I, or, you know, I, have, it, I have to say something regarding expensive not expensive in, in our mind it's like the most expensive it is it should be more delicious or more well, worthy yeah. and sometimes it's, it is not it's like not. that at all i mean two years ago Agreed. i had the chance to be in hong kong right i went to hong kong and uh, we went to this three that was the first restaurant i think that uh got the three michelin stars uh in asia that yeah. at two point so it was supposed to be yeah yeah it was expensive and it was supposed to be very very good so we had the duck the typical chinese type of food and it was, I mean, it was delicious, of course. I, I won't say that it was bad because it wasn't. But then the other day, the, the day after, we went to another restaurant that was like like one-fifth of the cost. And I enjoy it more even. Like, I don't know. It's like, for me, it was more tasty, more, more delicious, less pretentious too. So it was like more, more, more food also to eat. So yeah, sometimes... Um, it, it doesn't correlate, right? It's not necessarily, yeah. uh, there's no correlation necessarily. Yeah, indeed. I, there's I, one oh, Jeff, I keep interrupting you. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's all right. No, I was going to say there's one food that, that I really enjoyed that I didn't think, never thought in my life that I would. And is when we went to Portugal a couple of years ago and mm. um, was octopus. And mm. uh, one of, the, one of the, the people that we went with ordered it and I tried it and then for the next three days I had octopus at th different places and you, it was you know one what? thing I thought octopus I would is, never eat in my life. It's, it's very, it it's so very, good. it's very um, popular here in, in Spain too. Yeah. Um, Pulpo a la gallega, octopus, especially from Galicia, right? Like from the north uh, of Spain yeah. and it's delicious and indeed as a child I would have never imagined that I would like that dish. I didn't even know it, it existed. But then when I came yeah. to Spain, I realized it was very popular. Oh my God. It doesn't, indeed, if you don't know, you see it and it doesn't look appealing, exactly. but then you have it and it's so delicious. Indeed. 100% with you. Yeah. yeah. Delicious. <laughs> Highly recommended. Yeah. It's one of those texture things. It reminds, like you just reminded me of my, my kids who won't eat certain things if the texture's wrong and I could never see them I'll try just about anything, but I could never see them eating octopus. Um, but what I, what I was going to joke about with you about the expensive date thing is I joke with my wife all the, all the time um, because in Ohio, she, she was raised in a little bit more of a well-to-do area uh, than my, myself. And um, I joke with her uh, about that from time to time. And also she has a propensity when she goes into the, re to a restaurant to just instinctively select whatever the most expensive thing is. And I've always said, um, I would like to go into a restaurant and take all of the prices off the menu, but I know you would instinctively, based on whatever you have <laughs> internally, the ability to select this, you would find whatever is the most expensive thing just because you're like a, a genius or whatever, <laughs> a savant when it comes to figuring that out. So. I always joke with her about that. So that was my segue to joking with you about that. <laughs> Bad segue. <laughs> Anyways, so let's move on to the, um, to the news. Uh, let's, let's talk about a, a couple of the stories in the news this Actually week. Actually talk about SEO? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we could just branch <laughs> off and do a food podcast, but I think our audience probably wants to hear us talk SEO. It's, you know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, so one of the things uh, Google just released, so this was February 26th, for whoever's listening to this any other time. <laughs> um, but they, they announced that they 
have new and more better ways to export data from Search Console. Um, and some of the things that I've, I've gone through, and I actually haven't downloaded any of the data yet, but in their announcements, um, they now uh, allow you to export the data behind their charts. So the cool, cool thing with that is like, if you're trying to mimic one of the charts out of there, you can download the, the data right from the chart itself um, without having to download the whole, like a lot of times you have to download the whole list <laughs> of, of, you know, either URLs or keywords and things like that. So now if there's any time there's a chart, you'll be able to download that data. Um, and you'll also be able to download, I, you could always export to Google Sheets, but I think they're also allowing a new download to Excel feature, um, mm -hmm. which I never really use because I, once I turn to Google Sheets, I stick with Google Sheets. Um, just because with Excel, I was always tired of, do you have the latest version? Do I have the latest version? Who has the latest version? <laughs> um, so, so I stick with Google Sheets a lot that way. But um, you are now able to download into a CSV format, um, Excel format, um, and, and things like that. Uh, you can also download a lot of the performance issues or like things like that where um, if you want to pick out like a device or um, the you know pages or, or search appearances, um, you're able to download those now out. So when you when you filter out stuff, you can download that filtered view instead of just all the data itself. Uh, usually, I um, I find myself complaining about Google in the news, but this is one of those weeks where I'm not going to complain. This is a good uh, a good update <laughs> in something that for me um, has. I, I, I'm not going to say that I've run into this problem frequently, but every so often when I'm, okay. when I've been trying to get data out of Google search console, that, that has been a, a barrier. And then you have to spend a little bit of extra time, uh, you know, figuring out how can I get this data and manipulate it in, in Excel or Google sheets or whatever. And how can I make it look the yep. way that the chart is because I can't get to the chart data. So this is just one of those nice little, uh, nice little, uh, I think just things that uh, that they're giving us now. Um, five years ago, me, you know, when we had no search console data or or anything, would have been doing like you know backflips over over something uh, like this. Uh, this is this is definitely a, a nice to have. But I, I will say, like search console, from where where it has come from over the the past three to four to five years, it's in an amazing. Uh, amazing place. And, and like I said, like, you know, if you've been in the industry for a long time, getting data has not always been that easy. And um, with what they're doing at Google and what they're beginning to do at Bing, although, as we said last week, I'd really love to see their value proposition in terms of how they plan to be different than Google Search Console, because what I've seen thus far looks very similar. Um, the data and the access that they're providing us these days, and I think it's only going to get better, is, is, is unprecedented in our industry. Um, yeah, I so think that really in, in many occasions in the past, I have complained a little bit uh, regarding the, the way the data is displayed by default, right? Like mm -hmm. to, to that, because on one hand, for example, even in, in the, the performance uh, report, we have on one hand the keywords uh, that are non-filter, uh, so, for example, if we have a global website, it's a pretty pointless if we don't filter by country, uh, by by uh, device sometimes, or by um, specific pages even, because it's so generic. So, you need to filter, filter, filter to have actually, like much more specific, meaningful, relevant information to, to analyze. Uh, but then on one hand, I know since last year, is Daniel 
um, uh, Weisberg, who has been working, focusing on, on the Google Search Console. And you can tell with all of this um, new features that they have launched. And, uh, and, and, and indeed, I think that they are taking steps to make the data better integrated, uh, better segmented in a way that it will be much more actionable for people analyzing it. And at the end of the day, is the official source of data too. So it's like, um, if, if you have, a, even if you have many different tools, uh, your own crawler, et cetera, et cetera, like it's the way for you to validate the, there's alignment, it's the, it, it, there's consistency. Uh, mm -hmm. And hopefully at some point we will have the restrictions that we have right now. So for example, we will have, we will have more than, than certain number of maximum pages or keywords to download or, and, 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 and things will be better tied together. Like, for example, I wish I remember last, like last year I was saying, like, for example, for me, the, the tool that provides like what I would love to, to have, like as a report uh, UI wise is um, HREF with their, with the top pages because they have top pages and at the same time they have the keywords uh, and you just click on it and you have already like a, like a, an additional layer showing all of the keywords and the rankings for that particular page and with their search volume and you have all the, the internal and external links pointing to that page. So all the data together in a much more meaningful way where you can filter them out, but you don't need to, to actually see um, and already like segmenting per country. And so they show you by default the most, the, the country with the highest activity. So it's already pre-filtered in a way that is much, make it much more actionable for you uh, without having to play around or filter around, around so much. And, but if, of course, if you want to, you can also do it. So, yeah. I, I would love to see, and now we're talking about like feature updates. I would love to see, you can see the Google search console data in Google analytics. And sometimes the data matches up and sometimes it's like, it's way off. Um, I would love to see a situation where like that connection goes both ways, where the Google Analytics data is more tied into what you see in Google Search Console. Um, I mean, seeing that data could help you know, hey, I'm seeing way more data in Search Console. Maybe I've got a Google Analytics tracking issue or just a better way to tie things to business impact. Um, the schema reports that we're getting, we're getting a lot of new structured data reports, which are great because it helps identify validation issues, but it would be great because we are constantly fighting the battle uh, with clients. How do we get our recommendations prioritized? Well, the way that we get them prioritized is quite simply showing what we think the business impact is or, or, or you know, what we've been able to show in a test or, or so on and so some kind of data. Um, to get them to prioritize getting that next recommendation in. And I find that there's still a lot of gray area with respect to structured data and um, the relationship between the analytics data that's coming in in terms of if you add a specific type of structured data, what is the incremental lift from a search analytics in Google Search Console? It would be great to have those two things more directly tied together, whereas right now it's just pointing out if you've got markup errors, which is still better than it was five years ago or whatever. Um, yeah. But it would be nice. And I think they're getting there eventually. But yeah. Well, yeah, data yeah, studio, but like you've got to be a data studio person to know how to hook up all of those things as well. Yeah. So that's an extra layer of complexity that I wish didn't exist. Anyways. So Jeff, there's another uh, a featured snippet story. Yeah, so Maybe. we all know about 
we all know um, back in January, Google had like announced that they were removing if you were the fidget, fidget, uh, fidget snipper, <laughs> the featured, <laughs> featured snippet that you would, um, you would not actually have a listing in the 10 links below. So uh, before that, you could be position zero and position one, two, three, four. Um, and, you know, that was kind of double dipping. So since they removed that, um, we all kind of suspected that um, we would see declines in traffic and, and things like that. But um, that was all theory at the time. So John, and I'm going to probably butcher his last name, but Chiozo um, from Merkel put a, put an article up on search engine journal about unpacking the casual impact of Google's double dipping features snippet update. And kind of at the end of the, you know, a long story short, um, he did five different industries with clients that they had and they saw pretty much significant, well, five or say seven to 13% decrease in click through rates. Um, Mm -hmm. Clicks themselves were dropping 10 to 20% ish. Um, they saw declines in impressions out of two out of the five sites. Uh, but then in like the travel space, they saw 10% increases. And, and you know, it's interesting because I do work a lot in e-commerce space where, you know, position zero is not as, you know, drastic of a, of a change for me. So I didn't really see much um, in that um, world. And travel seems like it would be very informational. So I, I could definitely see the informational space showing off. So I'm not sure where it works in these industries. Um, but Alita, I didn't know if uh, you saw any type of movement after this feature snippet update. Yes. In my, in my case, indeed, mo- most of my clients are transactional oriented, like a lot of uh, e-commerce yeah. or, or marketplaces or, or B2Bs, but very, yeah. Uh, transactional focus indeed not so much uh, from information uh, from an informational perspective they don't bring relatively as much traffic as from a transactional perspective to um, actually see a a real negative impact from it however on my own website in remoters I actually because we rely a lot on on the on the block to drive yeah uh, top of the funnel type of, of, of traffic to the website, I had been literally directly uh, structuring the, the content to get those uh, sweet feature snippets already for a while. And we were uh, doing it so we post like, for example, what, what the best backpack, traveling backpack for di- digital nomads or uh, the best mailboxes uh, services for digital nomads or the best uh, travel insurance for digital nomads, these type of topics, right? And so we double dip. We were the feature snippet or in position first or second. And indeed, I have noticed a decrease, unfortunately, uh, from what we uh, tend to have before, potentially a 15 Twenty percent, something like that, and uh, in, 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 uh, that is noticeable, of course. Um, however, I have to say something, right? Too, it is worse than before because before we had the double dipping, but um, it's still better to have the features in impact than being just feature in position first. Because I have been able to 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 test out that for a few keywords for the same for the same articles, we are not as a feature snippet, we are not showing as a feature snippet, just as a position first. And the click-to-rate is not, as, it's not as good either. So yes, it's worse than before, but it's not as bad yet as being position one organically, purely as, as the usual, right? right. Well, and one thing I, 
I wonder is, are there people, so everybody's looking at their own featured snippets, right? And they're saying, hey, I lost X amount of traffic because I went from two listings down to one. Um, and I would wonder, you know, looking from the bottom up, how many people might have benefited by just uh, zero sum game moving up by default because somebody lost a listing because they had a featured snippet. And I just, I, that would be an interesting way to, um, to look at that. You know, did my competitor who lost their ability to double dip, did that lead to an improvement in my own traffic because I moved up one spot mm -hmm. or whatever it may be by default? And maybe it's not as um, black and white as, as that, but there, there's a lot of kind of top-down analysis. It would be really cool to see the, the bottom-up uh, analysis, but like you, not a, a, my clients do not tend to rely heavily on that top-of-funnel um, content. They're, they are more transactional, so there have been fewer opportunities to test. Um, one thing I would ask you guys, and this is just, um, I think, a general question, are there any scenarios where you would purposely utilize the no snippet tag to take yourself out of the featured snippet? I've wondered personally what those, my, I guess my default answer would be probably not, but I'm, I'm open to the idea of doing it. And I would wonder like, what would be the scenario that would make you purposely take yourself out of a featured snippet if you had it? Are there any? <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, I think that Claire um, Carlisle uh, shared a post about how she, she shows to, instead of uh, having a, like leaving the, the feature snippet or leaving her article as a feature snippet to go for, um, the FAQ schema or something like that. And she had data, a little bit of data over that, that, um, and, and that indeed, like it, it was a decision, but yes, I haven't seen right. that data of someone. And, and I, I mentioned at some point that I was going to test this out, but you know what? I, I, since I already lost a bit, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to lose further, <laughs> to, but I will end up doing it because just for the sake of testing it, right? At least for a while with my own articles. Um, to see how much I end up, because I'm sure that I will end up uh, losing and rate. If I lose completely right. the feature snippet with a, with a few pages, let's see. <laughs> I, will, I will definitely, I promise that I will test it. Even I will do the hierarchy right now. <laughs> it's funny, it would be like, well, what happens? Like, let's say you put the no snippet tag in and then you mm -hmm. get whatever, whatever results you get. I'm assuming so, the loss in clicks. And then like, what if you decide to take it out? Like, do you just automatically go back into the featured snippet if you were there before? Or what if you lose it forever? <laughs> um, yeah, well, this is the thing, right? It's, it's, uh, yeah, it did. I mean, you don't know completely at this point. We don't know completely the consequences of that. Yeah. If, uh, and, uh, and then I, 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 I still have, like, for example, um, feature snippets for posts that are not in position first, that are in the second, or even I had one that was in position seven. So for those, I definitely don't want to try it out because of course the, the impact on click to write yeah. will, be, will be terrible for sure. I, I don't want to see that. <laughs> oh, lots. Yeah, I know some people like there's, you can limit the, how much content will be in a oh, feature yeah. snippet. So if you, I can see if it's an FAQ or like a, like it's something that has steps and there's eight steps. Like if you can limit it to only show two and then make the people click to get to the other steps, could be something like a, as a tactic there. But um, I think that's a fine line also of, of where, you know, you don't want Google showing all your content. You want them enough to where they, they kind of, it's like an enhanced 
meta description, <laughs> uh, but then still need them to click to finish it. Um, but I, I don't think all content is built that way, right? Oh. Where there's 10 steps. And I've seen some feature snippets that are really long that, that have a lot of things in it. So I think there might be ways to limit that to, to make it where you could still have your click-through rate and kind of be in the feature snippet. But that's a case-by-case basis, I would think. Google, the biggest scrapers and stealers of content in the world. <laughs> um, you don't do that. Never. I never do that. Um, so let's move into the, the deep dive. I think that's enough, uh, enough news. There's a little bit more, but I, I think that that's a good stopping point. Um, and I really want to talk about yeah. video uh, and video SEO. Definitely. Um, I'm, I know Aleda has a lot to share, and I've had a recent client experience that I think is really worth uh, worth sharing as well. And Jeff, I'm sure you, you've had a lot of experience in video as well. So let's, let's dive in. And I think a good kind of starting point would be, Aleda, your Crawling Monday series. Um, one, what made you kind of start that up? And I would say, what, what have you learned as a result of mm-hmm. doing that? And, and, and maybe not just what you learned, but kind of, I would assume that you went into it with some sort of a plan uh, in, in place and not just willy-nilly like me and Jeff and our page two podcast YouTube channel. That was super willy-nilly, not as much of a plan as we probably should have thought, thought about, but I would assume that you went in with a plan. With a plan. Well, my, my, realistically, my only plan was I want to try it out. I want okay. to test it out. From an from an standpoint, it's like how, how, how does it take or how much does it take to rank right. uh, um, um, a video and, and then grow the video traffic. And this is the thing. Uh, this is what I have learned in general is that there's only so much that you can do from a search optimization posi- uh, position or from a search optimization um, standpoint to grow your actual traffic over YouTube because 70% of the traffic from YouTube not even comes from search. It comes from the recommendation system and um, so it, 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 what I realized is that, yeah, if you want to really be like a very prominent YouTuber or successful with big numbers, right? First, I shouldn't be doing videos about niche topics in SEO. <laughs> this is a first because there's only so much people who search or, or are interested about those stuff, right? Or maybe I should even talk about more generic type of SEO type of topics, like how to rank in 2020, this, is, this type of things. No, I went and started to talk about, uh, well, the, the topics are much more meaningful to me in the ones that I actually tend to speak about at conferences and share about, like right. how to do international SEO, how to, to, to identify uh, if you should index your facets in any corner website, this type of very niche type of topics in a very how-to oriented type of, of, of screen sharing type of, of video, right? And this is the thing, you need to focus and I think from a business perspective, not only as a person, right? Like to focus on, on, on uh, delivering information that will help or support uh, and will connect in a relevant way to the product that you sell or the service that you sell. Um, so, for example, Trello, they do have, like, for example, all of these series of, of videos uh, sharing about project management in general, right? Like how to be a good project, project manager, project manager, etc. So, it, there's only so much traffic that you can get, and, and, and subscribers and, and uh, reproductions in general that you will get from this type of topic. So, it's about being reasonable. Of the numbers, it's not about huge numbers here, unless you want to be a YouTuber speaking about very generic right. 
stuff uh, uh, about how to uh, win games or matches or football, things like that, right? So yeah. it's about being reasonable first. It's important being reasonable with goals. Be very clear about the goals that you want to achieve. Oh, I want to be there. Uh, whenever someone searches about how to do this in my industry, how to do this with my service, how to do this with my product, right? Like we do keyword research and all this research and competition research in SEO, right? It's not be, being ranked number first for SEO in general or, or tool in general. It's about being there for those specific relevant right. type of topics of, 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 your brand, of your brand or service or product, right? So that on first, it's important to have a very specific goal and uh, and do the proper research um accordingly there are tools that i have shared about already that will help you to do this for example already tools that are seo tools that have um uh, youtube support for example uh keyword tool io or hrefs and then the run trackers that have youtube support run ranger um, and accurate ranker uh, lately too uh, so they allow you to track your rankings not only um, in the video carousel or with the video thumbnail in Google search results, but also within YouTube search results. Um, and then the, the tools are completely focused in YouTube that you can use to do keyword research and, 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 and run research to, um, so for example, uh, TubeBuddy or VidIQ too. So yeah, these are tools that you can research and, and yeah. Think about it like if it was a keyword competition research to come up with which are the topics that I should focus on, uh, how these other channels or videos are already optimizing for. So when doing this this validation and this analysis, I realized that there are three things like it's relevance, engagement, and retention. Right? The relevance is like the same that we that we have in SEO. The title should include the, the term, the topic. The description should include the term, the topic. Uh, there are the hashtags in, in, in YouTube that you should include in the description that they will highlight above the title of the video or that you can include also in the video and they will become clickable. So anybody who clicks on that, they will generate, uh, the, you will go to the search result of, 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 that, um, of, of that term that has been a hashtag, you have to do that hashtag. Then you have also the tags, right? That are useful for early discovery, right? And and uh, and then so you apply the same principles of relevance in in your videos, but there's only so much of course, relevancy. That's it. And the same with SEO, right? What is additional in SEO? And SEO is popularity in general, right? So for YouTube, this will co come with the engagement and and retention. It is super important that. Uh, you engage your users to watch the video as much as possible, that you make your users to like the video, to comment on the video, to interact with the video, because the, at the beginning, uh, YouTube will start recommending your video to your, for example, your past viewers, the ones who are already subscribers, who, those who have watched yeah. videos are very um, relevant or similar than the ones that, that you have published. But if this users come and they don't engage on your video and they stop watching after five seconds or something uh, something like that, right? They, they don't interact. Well, they won't recommend you any longer or anymore. So that is why it's super important to start. Um, and I didn't, didn't do this uh, in most of my videos. I realized this <laughs> not so long ago. It's like, that is why it's super important to start like, not with an intro, but Hello there, we are going to speak about how to optimize for feature snippets and I'm going to give you three tips 
Cheer optimized for the participant and make the most out of bed. Keep watching. And that is why also YouTubers, if you see that, keep watching. And I will give you the answer at the end of the video. Don't leave. And in the meantime, like my video. Have it here. So that is why you have all this. And also you have the end screens at the end where you recommend all the videos from your own channels or that you can even select with the YouTube, YouTube editor. So the, it's the, the own um, uh, YouTube that will system that will recommend a video from your own channel like this. Um, so there are different tactics like this to keep the user engaged. And, uh, and also, for example, all YouTubers do this. They, they pin their own comment. They, they will say, like, incentivize the user to, to leave a comment. Uh, so they will be the first ones commenting on their own video, duh, saying, thank you very much for watching the video. If you like it, remember to leave your, your, your to like it and to leave your question below, uh, yeah. things like that. Or in the descriptions, many of them, instead of starting with a descriptive type of information of the video, they will start already like, Did you, do you like your, this video? Watch this other one about this other topic that is that you will also love, things like that, right? Yep. And then... There's this connection that I love regarding uh, YouTube and Google that, for example, if you add timestamps in the description of the YouTube video, so for example, you will add uh, topics that you are speaking about different uh, timings of your video and you add the, just the minute and, and the seconds, minutes and seconds that, uh, where that topic is covered as, a, as, a, as it was a, as a, an index, right, of, of, of the video, Google has started to highlight, and, and then if you are included in the video carousel in mobile search results, or in search results in general, for mobile, Google will highlight that video that is ranked first in the, in the carousel as a, as, a, as a result, a much more bigger highlighted type of result in, the, in mobile search results with the timestamps there. So from a click-to-rate perspective, that's, that's heaven for sure. That is much yeah. better than just being the first in the, in the carousel. Uh, so yes, there are different ways like this, but this is the thing. Like the, my big realization after uh, publishing 24, you know, 23, 24 videos is like, indeed, there's only so much that you can do from a purely optimization perspective that you need to become a community manager. You need to become also a little bit of a conversion optimizer there to, to engage with your audience, to refer your audience. That is also why I started my newsletter because I started to ask prominent people who have more prominent channels than me. And I asked how, how much of your channels come from search? Like 10%, one third, the one that had maximum. Why? Because these are bigger brands, bigger or, or bigger people with even bigger personal brands than me that have big, bigger communities. And, uh, and most of their, their traffic come from their communities. And this is how they also make, this is the thing, this is how you also make the YouTube recommendation system to recommend you. Because if, when they just publish their, their video, I, for example, what I just to share it did in Twitter, LinkedIn, in Facebook, but in general, right? They have their own communities in Slack or in Facebook or anywhere that they share the link. And that community is of people who are interested about them. So they will click and they will watch and that will make yeah. YouTube to recommend it even further. So it's a little bit in bed. It's, it's a little bit pure engagement, a pure engagement game, right? That is so... Hopefully, I will be able to up my game there with my newsletter a bit more uh, that I have this year to be. So I have a few tests coming about that. I also do a little bit of news jacking. This, this is funny, right? Like my top videos at this point is uh, the one that I did with an interview uh, with Googlers, with Google web uh, uh, analysts, uh, Joe Mueller, Gary, you know, it's 
five of them, right? I think it's the first time that someone has um, uh, interviewed them all together. And Martin Splitz, uh, they, they, uh, they were all together in, in, in the Google office in Zurich while I, while I was there at the Google event at the end of last year. So anyway, I did this interview. That is the one that have gotten more views because, of course, if they have bigger brand than I do, right. bigger authority, I, I went beyond, beyond my, own, my own community um, and Barry Schwartz picture it in search engine role table, things like that. And, and then, on the other hand, I also... Um, the second most watched video is the video that I did recently about feature snippet when the news was just released because I had already tons of data about it because of my own website. And this was data that I could share without problem because it's my own website, right? It just doesn't happen often because of course I won't share the data of clients. But this was like a lining of, 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 of um, you know, the, the, the good timing and, and the data that I had, I was like, okay, I will, I will give a specific uh, episode here about what to do, how to analyze, how to make the decision, how to measure the impact. And that worked very well, very well with the news jacket, right? So yeah, I am testing out uh, more things to do nowadays also with uh, coming, coming videos. Um, and then there's another thing probably to, to, to finish with this is that uh, I will say that Go, this shouldn't be just a, something for people, right? Looking to, to develop their personal brand, but more and more go to websites that have complex type of services, even B2Bs, like go to MailChimp or go to, to, to um, for example, the Trello or go to even, um, I don't know, it was a, a Cruises website. And, services that are not tangible and you need to show or they are too complex and you need to show again to sell them. And, or even Nike, they want to show the latest sneaker because it's different, it's cool. Like this. So I love to see more and more uh, e-commerce websites, B2B websites, complex services websites, like in general, having or featuring, including videos, showing their products, explaining their products, having a, uh, a sales support type of, of, uh, of role in their landing pages or in the product pages or category pages, not only in guides, right? It's not just how-tos for how-tos, but it has also an important role from a transactional perspective. Those videos though, I, 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 maybe you want to publish them also on YouTube. So whenever someone searches about your product, your service, etc., how-tos regarding your service, they will find in them there, but these videos that you will embed on your own website because of a transactional type of business type of goal, I will tend to include them and embed them with uh, Wistia, for example, that they have a very powerful analytics and much more control. They will uh, um, generate by default video objects, structured data, so you can be shown as a, as a, as a, um, um, with, a with a snippet, with the thumbnail for the video. So, and, and, and of course, the video will help to sell your product. So there's much right. more of a win-win type of situation there. And, and then, sorry, because I was forgetting, no, there's great. one last tactic that I realized is that after a while uh, that I what, I, what I did with video is that I published it in YouTube. Then I took the video and I also generated a blog post on my, on my website. I, I had a category on my, web, on my blog that was probably Monday. So every video that I published, I, I created a blog post, I embedded it, and the, the transcription of, of the video uh, uh, was the content of the blog post. Um, 
And then after a while, what I did was to switch the video, the YouTube embed, to become a Wishia embed, right? And then I realized that Google was not identifying that it was the, it was the same video. So for a query, an example, right? How to implement extra plan annotations. I was ranking in organic search results with my blog post, with the video thumbnail. Then I was ranking with my YouTube video in the carousel, within the carousel. But then I was, I was ranking twice with a video from my blog post within the carousel Double dipping. for the same query because Google didn't identi identify that they were the same videos because the platforms were different, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of things like that that you can try out and end up, yeah, double dipping. Different, different like saying, a lot of a lot of people have asked me like should i put my videos on youtube because they're worried like i, I am one of these people who go down youtube like i watch youtube a lot i i, I subscribe to youtube premium because i hate ads <laughs> even though i'm in marketing um so i like and i i get it where you watch a video and then they recommend other videos next thing you know you're like on a totally i start watching crawling mondays and next thing i know i'm watching how to make you know, fried chicken. Yeah. And then after that, I'm like learning how to put oil in my that's car. <laughs> that, I mean, but well, that's what happens. Probably in you wish you, you will after, after talking about fried chicken right here, like wow. the yeah, exactly. are, are, are hearing us. <laughs> yeah. So I so saw a lot of clients who don't want to put videos on YouTube, even though like I'll, I'll say like put videos everywhere, right? Put it, put it on Wistia, put it on YouTube, put it on like Vimeo because there is that algorithm, like where I don't, I've, think you can double or triple dip in some of those. But the other end of that is I, I feel that YouTube one has the second most, it's like the second largest search engine. Um, yeah. And, and uh, if you have any kids and they have an iPad, 90% of the time, they're probably either playing Minecraft or watching YouTube videos. YouTube. And yeah. And YouTube's just going to be, but it, it's like, it's on every TV now it's everywhere. Like my, my kids, they're, mm -hmm. they're YouTube junkies. I ask them what are the three major networks in the United States for like TV. They have no clue. Like they have no clue about cable television or anything because everything is through YouTube and that is their, their network of choice. So I see in like 10 years, I mean, besides the billions of people that are on it now, I see it like really like the kids of today, that's where they're going to find all their information. And I don't see YouTube getting replaced anytime soon. It's yeah. so expensive mm -hmm. to, to have something that would compete against YouTube. People yeah, tried, I, I think that a lot of people, a lot of people speak about Instagram, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but the power of YouTube, yeah, indeed, is like after Google, it's not about search engines. Like websites in general, it's the second most visited website. Is the second mm -hmm. search engine is the first social network. And uh, the latest data that similar web release um, mm -hmm. uh, show how the engagement and the, the visits overall of, of, of YouTube have, are now bigger than the ones of, 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 uh, of Facebook. And, and then also uh, from data, from Run Ranger data, you can see that 92% of the videos from the carousels and uh, desktop results in the US come from YouTube. So yeah, not surprisingly indeed. So yes, it's, it's, it's exposure that if you want to establish your brand, be where your audience is and uh, help you know, to connect with your your users and through different platforms without relying purely on, on Google results and, uh, and at the different levels of stages of uh, and the customer journey too, it's the place to be after, after Google, I will say. Yeah. Agreed. So 
there, there are a couple of uh, topics that I want to hit on before we kind of end the episode. One, I, I want to tell my, my story because that is a great segue. Uh, the customer journey. And I will say that recently I've had a client approach us and say, hey, Jake, we think video is super important and we want a video strategy for 2020. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I'm an SEO guy, but I, I think I can help you. I think I can help you, <laughs> help you out because that is, a, that is a broad question, but I do think that there are some things that we can mm-hmm. do. What are your goals? And the goal for video, because there are so many different types of videos that you could create ranging from, you know, very branded, almost commercial-like to helpful product demos, supportive uh, videos, how-to guides, all the way down to things like carpool karaoke and really fun videos that are definitely not people looking to purchase, but those people may be brand advocates or, you know, who, who, or they may be completely outside the funnel. And um, in this client's case, the goal was, or, or the commentary going into the strategy. And honestly, I, you know, as I started to think about it more, I had to kind of like break outside of the box was, well, we only want to focus on the videos on our website and we want to know which new videos to create and we don't want to use YouTube. And our primary and our primary goal is to get people to buy our product without contacting our sales team. So like when I heard all of those things together, I had to like just take a step back and go, hmm, I, something about that seems a little, a, a little off, like at odds. Yeah. And not, not only, realistic also. <laughs> right, right. And not only that, like we we don't necessarily want to, we want to do this through SEO organically. Um, so, you know, I went, so I went into my cave and I, and I, you know, I, I, I put together a strategy and I said, okay, like, let me just completely rethink, rethink this because like I, I, what I think they want is me to tell them exactly what videos to go create. And what I think needs to happen is maybe everybody in the room needs to kind of take a step back and think more broadly about video in general and what it can do for you and what it can't. And of course there are SEO things that we can do. You can technically well optimize your video. You can, you know, you can use structured data. There are uh, speed implications that you have to think of. There are hosting implications. If you want to, you know, embed a YouTube uh, version of your video, or if you want to host the video through like a Brightcove or a Wistia or something, uh, something of that, uh, of that nature or a Vimeo for example. So there are those implications, but I think like what I would encourage folks to do is to really take a step back. If you're thinking about a video strategy and thinking of your goals and in this, I'll just use this uh, potential, this client as a, as an example, their goal was to create uh, a video that drives sales without people having to get customer service involved. And for me, knowing that they wanted to do that organically, but using my like broader marketing hat, I had to really like be honest with myself and say like, okay, well, I don't think SEO is your best bet here. Um, I think, you know, if you're thinking of where a customer would have to be at in the funnel, which is very close to purchasing, the, the best things that you can do would be to one, take a very branded approach, almost like commercial, like and two, 
uh, honestly, like maybe you need a paid video strategy and maybe you need to consider doing, uh, you know, those interstitial ads on, on YouTube or a video display ad or help um, if, you know, depend, and this is very specific to their product. Um, if you're looking at uh, decision makers within an organization, maybe uh, you need to go over to LinkedIn, which also has a paid video solution, or maybe you need to consider, um, you know, there's obviously Twitter has paid video and there are other uh, places that have paid video as well. But like in that case, I had to say, okay, all of these places have native video options that you can go in and optimize and you can, you can put your video on your website and there are things that we can do. You can put your video on YouTube, which by the way, I said like, hey, it's hard to have a video strategy and ignore the second largest search engine in the world. So I'm going to have to recommend it, even though you told me not to. But if you're thinking about doing this organically and your goal is to get people to buy your product immediately without contacting sales, well, like those two things might be at odd because what you want is a quick turnaround um, and you want things to happen quickly. Well, we know organic, like that doesn't always necessarily happen quickly or happen like you expect. So if you want the greatest amount of control in the shortest amount of time, paid is probably going to be um, where it's at. And I really had to educate them on like which types of videos go with which stages of the funnel. So like a heavily branded video in that case, almost a commercial is hitting people much lower in the funnel. Whereas uh, a video like a, a product demo or a support video or a how to guide that might be still people that might be people that are almost ready to purchase, but are still evaluating your product. So slightly higher in the funnel, not super high in the funnel, but maybe middle of the funnel, or it could be people who have already purchased and are just trying to figure out how the heck to use your product. Um, so the intent there might be a little bit different and it might not get you to your goal, which is to drive a bunch of sales without people contacting support. Now that particular aspect, a product demo or a product support video fulfills the part of um, uh, providing the support without having to get sales involved. But again, like I said, it might be post-purchase funnel and it might be people who have already purchased. So right there and then, depending on what your audience mix looks like, um, well, you may not get as much bang for your, for your buck if you're heavily betting everything on that. But then there's also the idea of, okay, how do we hit people higher in the funnel and how do we hit people uh, after the purchase to create advocates? And that is, um, you know, where you might look at native videos or you might look at fun videos or uh, in this case, uh, you know, uh, a, a carpool karaoke video or just things that maybe they're not customers, but maybe they're, they might become aware of your brand by seeing your brand be playful or do something that doesn't necessarily mean a sales pitch or a product demo. So there are literally all kinds of ways that you could go. And I thought in this case, like, hey, what I think you wanted was me to tell you what videos to create, but what you really needed was to step back and think about your goals as a business and how that aligned to where consumers are at in the funnel and the types of videos you need to create to hit people in the various stages of the funnel and how that aligns to what you're trying to do. And, and so in that case, I was not able to give them like, hey, go put this exact video on YouTube and optimize it in this exact way and put schema there because they needed to expand their way of 
thinking. And that, that would be the advice that I would give to anybody thinking about a, a video strategy is it, it, it can be simple, but often, especially if you're working with a brand, it's not that simple. Um, and you really need to think about your goals. And I would say that the goals of a video that is um, a commercial and short and maybe closer to the purchase cycle is definitely different than the videos or than the uh, a video that is high funnel, like a carpool karaoke video yeah. that, ain't driving, that ain't driving no sales. Right. But it yeah, might it is like, it's, it's like, in a, it's like an SEO, right? It's like, yeah. it's not the same doing SEO for right. a small shop transactional oriented type of B2C than for a large, huge B2B. Like it's definitely not, not the same. You won't create the videos in the same way or distribute it or right. the whole of YouTube won't be the same. Uh, the, the need of embedding the, 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 the videos, for example, and how to, you, you won't probably do that. You will go through product pages that will need the video. So the, depending on the role and the goal, on the type of audience, on the type of content, and the, the, indeed, you, you will end up doing something different. But the, this is the thing is about, um, and we know this well in SEO, right? That you cannot expect clients to come directly being reasonable sometimes. <laughs> and it is no. you or it is us who needs to validate and verify if there's a fit, uh, if, if, the, if, if, if there are resources, if, the, if the, there's the flexibility, and if there's, there's also willingness from the client to get advice, uh, to obtain advice to try things out, especially when they are starting, right? Like uh, you need to ver like test out a few approaches, different approaches, and take it from, from there too. So want to close the episode, but the elephant in the room with video strategy that we're just, uh, there's not enough time to talk about is video production and production quality and barrier to entry. Um, certain, you know, brands have certain standards and it costs a lot to produce a video of a certain quality. But then on the other side, the barrier to entry in video, much like podcasting is still, it's as low as it's ever been in terms of if yeah. you start a YouTube channel, but there is also the discussion of, you know, do you need to have a certain production quality associated with your brand and how much does it cost and all of those logistics, but we won't get into that. Um, Aleda, thank you for coming on. The last question that we ask all of our listeners, or not listeners, all of our guests is imagine that uh, somebody is getting into SEO today, 2020, literally this is their first day on the job as an SEO. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give them? I will give them the advice to subscribe to SEO formula, to not miss everything that is happening <laughs> every week and in the industry, for sure. Like, of course, this is self-serving, but I have to say that I, I try to do a good job to uh, people get the not only the latest news, but also actual good resources out there because this is the problem right now, right? When I was starting SEO 10 years ago or even more, oh my God, I feel so old. It's 2007 or so. And there, there was not that many information sources, right? And, and, uh, and, and now I feel that there's even much, many more people talking about SEO, writing about SEO, so much information out there. It's difficult to, and also uh, Google is also much more sophisticated so you, you, a lot of the content out there is not necessarily updated. Uh, and some people still speak about doing the building like, like a, I don't know, three-way exchange, things like that. So it's important to, to, to learn, to, to test things out, to keep updated, but also, well, uh, have filter out a little bit on, on, on the information that you also take 
and 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 test out for yourself. So that is that is going to be probably like my recommendation to to keep updated, to focus. I, I think that there's a good share of SEOs uh, sharing a ton, uh, very good information mm-hmm. in Twitter. Um, I try to curate and highlight the best and 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 my newsletter. But then, of course, is to try things out for yourself. You need to set your own website. Uh, you can do this very easily with, uh, I don't know, uh, CMSs out there like WordPress. Um, and test stuff for yourself. Verify out there. Double check to see if the results that you're getting are the actual results that you see out there. And it is as easy as many say out there, right? And uh, to be reasonable, SEO is a long-term type of strategy. It's not a one-trick pony uh, that you will see also results in in a single week. There are so many ways also to achieve the same type of results. You cannot expect that there's an absolute truth out there. There will be also be always many ways to achieve the exact same result and goal. And then to realize that SEO is about alignment, is is alignment uh, um, on your business goals, is about alignment on your products, about alignment with your marketing. Uh, so. Uh, real life SEO, well, how I like to say, it's like when you're not doing SEO for your own small website, is has to do a lot with this. It's about having also good skills and communicating with clients, communicating uh, your, the, the needs, the goals, the impact, um, and coordinating well. Uh, so as an SEO, if you want to build a career in SEO uh, and not doing it so only with your own, your own websites, it's not only about testing out, verifying for yourselves, but also potentially also improving your skills on, on that regard, communication, coordination, business understanding, marketing understanding, uh, to be able to work well in different environments are, uh, well, targeted especially with bigger type of companies. That's great. So Alita, thanks for coming on our episode. Uh, where can people find you or get in touch with you? I am very active uh, besides my website, of course, aledasolis.com and in Twitter. I am very active in Twitter, so people can uh, follow me and, and find me in at Aleda, uh, A-L-E-Y-D-A, because just in case uh, yeah. people don't know how to write Aleda. So I am there, and then on my website too, and then Crawling Mondays, they can search me over YouTube, please subscribe, and 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 enter the recommendation system. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and yes, also now with the newsletter too, indeed. Yeah. No, I, I actually had one closing question too. How does it feel to be a celebrity with one name, like Beyonce? <laughs> uh, well, well, I have to say, it's not because I am, of course, I'm not a celebrity. I know. It's okay. because my, my, my name is, is not so common still. And I was yeah. early enough in, um, I think, when it was, I think at the end of 2006 or something like that, that I, that I started in Twitter. Uh, so I was lucky enough. It was in the first year of Twitter to get yeah. my first name and it's not so common. It's a little bit used in Latin America, but it's not, it's not Maria for sure. And so I right. was lucky enough <laughs> to, to get my, my first name indeed, but that is cool, that is cool. Sadly, when you search for Aleda, depending on, on your location in the US, you might, you might sometimes get above me. Uh, there is a restaurant in Texas Aleda Tex-Mex or something like that. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but yes, uh, um, I, am, I am in the top positions too. So I'm, I'm just lucky That's like awesome. that to not, to, not, to not have a very generic name. <laughs> I mean, Jeff, great. Jeff watches Crawling Mondays and thinks about chicken, so I could see him making that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Well, Aleda, thank you so much for, um, for coming on. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this is a great episode. Thank you very much for having me. I, I had a, a really good time sharing with you and, and talking about everything. And even, even nice, nice, not necessarily SEO related topics. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to more episodes, visit us at page2podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Additionally, you can also listen to our show on our new YouTube channel, if you'd like to become a sponsor or would like to be interviewed, get in touch with us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.